I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is my big bag of onions. The government to California, broken hearts and bars unknown. And through this night we'll share a lover On that dark radio I got so many beasts on Hands pressed cold against the phone See all the stars As essential as it is across our traditions, as real as so many of us know it to be in particular lives, uh, the word compassion is hollowed out in our culture and it is suspect in my field of journalism. It's uh, seen as a kind of squishy kumbaya thing or it's seen as potentially depressing. Karen Armstrong has told what I think is an iconic story of giving a speech in Holland and after the fact the word compassion was translated as pity. Um, now compassion when it enters the news too often comes in the form of feel-good feature pieces or sidebars about heroic people you could never be like or uh, happy endings or examples of self-sacrifice that would seem to be too good to be true most of the time. Our cultural imagination about compassion has been deadened by idealistic images. And so what I'd like to do this morning for the next few minutes is uh, perform a linguistic resurrection. And I hope you'll come with me on my basic premise that words matter, that they shape the way we understand ourselves, the way we interpret the world, and the way we treat others. When this country first encountered genuine diversity in the 1960s, we adopted tolerance as the core civic virtue with which we would approach that.
last time I was on an airplane, the service was exceptionally brutal. The food was disgusting, and the flight attendant had the worst attitude of all time. She didn't smile at all and paid no attention to my requests. I asked her politely to get me a beer, and she told me I'd already had two, and that was enough. I said, I thought that we get unlimited drinks on this flight. She said, that's true, sir, in a very irritating voice. But we have the right to cut people off who have had too much to drink. I said, I haven't had too much to drink. I've had two beers. That's it. She said, well, I think that's more than enough. I said, who are you to judge? Two beers is nothing. You are simply abusing your power. Then she had the audacity to say that I had a bad attitude. I gave up. I said, fine, give me a scotch on the rocks. changed at all if her hair was still red her folks they said our lives together sure was gonna be rough they never did like mama's homemade dress papa's bank but wasn't big enough i was standing on the side of the road rain falling on my shoes heading up for the east coast lord knows i paid some dues getting through Tangled up in blue She was married when we first met Soon to be divorced I helped her out of a jam, I guess But I used a little too much force We drove that car as far as we could Abandoned it out west Split up on a dark sad night Both agreeing it was best Turned around to look at me as I was walking away I heard her say over my shoulder we'll meet again someday on the avenue Tangled up in blue I had a job in the great north woods working as a cook for a spell but I never did like it all that much And one day the axe just fell So I drifted down to New Orleans I was looking to be employed Working for a while on a fishing boat Right outside of Delacroix All the while I was alone The past was close behind 
discovery in 2012, CRISPR-Cas9, a gene editing technique, has gone from strength to strength. This tool, developed from a bacterial defense system that cuts up the DNA of invading viruses, permits genetic material to be edited easily and precisely. It has transformed research in biology and promises to have wide applications in agriculture and medicine. But it is not ideal. One of its flaws is that its ability to replace genes works best in cells that are replicating and thus have the correct molecular furniture in place to incorporate the new DNA being delivered. A second is that it starts by breaking the DNA strands so that new material can be inserted into the gap. That can have undesirable effects. A third is that it is not particularly good at correcting point mutations. These are errors which affect only one or two of the bases, known informally as genetic letters in a gene's DNA sequence. This flaw is especially problematic because tens of thousands of genetic diseases are results of such point mutations. There may, though, be a way around these problems, particularly the third one. This is to alter specific bases without cutting the DNA strands they are in. 
a paper published this week, describes means of doing so, namely programmable protein machines called base editors that rearrange the atoms of one base so that it becomes another. And another paper describes how to achieve a similar ultimate outcome, a change in the protein encoded by a gene, but in a way that does not involve DNA directly at all. Get rid of all the school books and replace them with objects. So take artifacts from museums uh, and put them in the hands of school children. So for millennia, society was built around objects and things and tangibly feeling reality. So your identity and your past and your community was built around objects that were put into your hands. Today, we rely very heavily on text. And text kind of belies an authority. An authority is given to the author that maybe they shouldn't have. It takes away decision-making from the reader, and uh, by placing objects, especially artifacts, you can increase empathy, you can uh, put decision-making. Uh, it teaches students ontology. It, it turns them from fact absorbers into investigators. So just imagine taking uh, uh, the Rosetta Stone or a Moonstone and putting it in the hands of, of students, or even taking a, a, a rubber uh, toy raft from a, a refugee family that crossed the Mediterranean and telling students this, imagine what it was like, putting uh, them in those shoes. This isn't happening 
is shatterproof, but it isn't running away they're afraid of. A handmade wouldn't get far. It's those other escapes, the ones you can open in yourself given a cutting edge. Or a twisted sheet in a chandelier. I try not to think about those escapes. It's harder on ceremony days, but Thinking can hurt your chances. My name is Alfred. I had another name, but it's forbidden now. So many things are forbidden now. so green no baby you're not so green no baby you're not so systematic waking up the dead systematically stepping on my head just systematically waking up the dead systematically stepping on my head Find something, something that you buried in your backyard. Position is coming through from all the dirt that you're digging up. From all the dirt that you're digging up. Now you're down 
somewhere Somewhere you imagined in your wildest dream Your opposition is coming through From all the people that you're standing on From all the people that you're standing on And now you better take a firm hand Systematic Waking up the dead Systematically Stepping on my head Systematically Waking up the dead It's technically called the shallow pan of food emoji. But nonetheless, yes, there was a, there's a reference image that goes with it, which the vendors don't have to necessarily follow, but it's, it's given out there to say, this is probably what the emoji should look like. And it had, I think, some chicken in it, and it had some prawns in there, and some peas and some mushrooms, and all of a sudden there's this eruption out of Spain that, uh, that that is not how you make a traditional paella, that they were very displeased at this reference diagram. There was a big campaign on, <laughs> it's a big deal over there, they give out wooden spoon awards to paella restaurants, I, I had no idea what a big scene it was. And nonetheless, anyway, they, they complained heavily that the reference diagram should probably have the traditional ingredients as opposed to what's more popular outside of Spain and well we changed our reference diagram at the very least and we'll see what everybody else does when they release their images this year.
intelligence and robotics it's a really interesting area and if you take something like Google search so search at the moment is based on an algorithmic process reasonably predictable as it starts moving towards learning AI even the engineers behind search admit that they will lose control of this artificial intelligence so I'm very concerned about that I think we need to draw a line in terms of how much do we want technology to help us and where does the line of control lie. There's a great paper by Licklider called Man-Computer Symbiosis and he wrote it in 1960 and he talked about the symbiotic relationship between man and machine, a mutually beneficial relationship and I think that's where we need to head to. But I think there's a big question in terms of ethics the ethics of algorithmic interface with the human. And I'll just give you one short example. The point at which a 13-year-old girl who has body dysmorphic issues, who feels that she's you know, too big here or too fat or whatever she feels about her body, the point that she sits down and types thin into search and presses return and is led to the horrendous websites that promote eating disorders, that socialize and normalize eating disorders, who is morally and ethically responsible for that transaction? Not the algorithm, it doesn't know it's dealing with the child. And that's why age verification is vital in terms of the interface between artificial intelligence and humans.
listening to my big bag of bunions. Another example of a living kind of formal orality is Shakespeare, if you want to be really honest about how Shakespeare works. Because Shakespeare, especially late Shakespeare, is very dense language. And Shakespeare's plays, and so we're supposed to be listening to people speaking them. But the fact of the matter is that often you can get a lot more out of Shakespeare if you've read it beforehand, because the way it's structured is such that you can take in more of it if you have the time and the deliberation and the possibility of going backwards that the deliberate, solitary act of reading involves. So, for example, I recently saw a production of As You Like It, thoroughly enjoyed it. I had had some coffee beforehand, so I was ready to concentrate on this very formal kind of orality. But there were some things in the play, um, especially things that Touchtone said, but various other things that people said where I really couldn't quite get them. And I'm someone who loves English and all of its historical layers. And yet, not having read the play, there were things I simply couldn't understand, which I have since come to understand by going home and opening up my musty edition of the great books and looking at the written text and seeing. So what that is, is a formal kind of orality. Ben Rouge waiting for a train on us feeling near as faded as my jeans Bobby thumbed a diesel down just before it rained and rode us all the way into New Orleans I pulled my harpoon out of my dirty red bandana I was playing soft while Bobby sang the blues Slapping time, I was holding Bobby's hand in mine. We sang every song that driver knew. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing, I mean nothing, honey, if it ain't free. Feeling good was easy now when he sang the blues. Hey, feeling 
particularly in Western society, you know, we live in a society that's impatient with uncertainty or ambiguity. As science entered the picture, milk was the substance that needed to be decoded, and for good reason, because it was so essential in maintaining human life, and particularly the women, the, the milk that came out of women's breasts, although that oddly slips out of the picture very quickly. And it was this, you know, mystery and aura, this idea that one, one substance could be so filled with nutrients that drove people to trip over themselves to say that they knew what was what it was for this was related to the incomplete understanding people had of bodily fluids so the idea that something that wasn't blood was coming out of a woman's woman's breast was fascinating to the ancients. Now, their understanding of blood was much more blood as nourishment than ours is. You know, we think of blood as its own scientific or its own natural um, substance. But they would have thought of blood as something related to bone meal, something that comes out of the bones. And that's very much related to how they, they viewed women's memory plans. It's a Bill's big bag of onions.
listening to my big bag of onions. This day performed before my father's court certain mountebanks, whereof one did eat fire, placing living coals within his mouth and crushing them with his teeth and swallowing them, also drinking naphtha while it flamed, yet betraying no inconvenience from it, but only relish and content. Then another, placing a child under a basket, drove a sword through it and drew it forth dripping blood, the child shrieking meanwhile. The basket being turned, the child was nowhere to be seen, nor yet its blood. Ah, but these are aged tricks and little worth. One swallowed a crooked sword above an arm's length long. This was a soft-spoken gentle varlet, yet did I wish it might rend his bowels and so end these entertainments, since I nor any might sit in my father's presence or depart whilst he remained. But he was charmed and marveled much, which comes of holding himself in retirement and study and seeing little that doth transpire abroad. Verily, these threadbare vagaries did stir his admiration to that degree that no louting clown new come from out the country could surpass it. Then went he to the theater in state, the court attending all in brave attire. This new actor, Luz, whose fame filleth the land of late, so wrought upon the multitude in the great part of Adam in the classic, venerable, and noble play of the driving forth from Eden. Shepherd us. Ooh. In my feathers, 
Christmas in 1992, I was given a Walkman and the cassette single of I Will Always Love You. That's when I learned just how much happiness and joy could be found in singing. The nine-year-old me sang that song over and over throughout the Christmas period, with my headphones turned all the way up so I had no concept of how loud I was singing. But I couldn't stop until I'd figured out how exactly Whitney made those fabulous sounds. My family might not have enjoyed my singing in those early days, but music was always on in my house whether it was my mum playing Stealing Love on the Side by Belinda Parker, my sister's Ross albums on repeat, my brother's Roast and Jungle Fever box sets blasting out, or my oldest brother's Stevie Wonder and Level 42 on repeat. They created a soundtrack to my childhood. You could be anywhere in our Brixton Masonette and still hear the tunes coming through the walls. But the best times were when we got together with all of our friends and family to celebrate. Everyone pulled together to make parties happen in those early days, with one person securing the venue, another bringing the speakers, someone else bringing the records, or cooking up huge portions of our favorite foods. You had to have a selector, and obviously a DJ on the mic, encouraging everyone to sing and dance. This way of celebrating is Jamaican sound system culture, and it was imparted on me that everyone has a job to do in order for all of us to have a good time. Ever knowing where you're 
memories pay to pay the Sandman well. Make no fuss, for you must in stardust keep us all the colors in your dreams. Bells chime three times, naked dancers enter slowly. Smoky room, scented gloom, audience eating. The breasts of four young girls Dancing, prancing, provoking These dreams are always ending for too soon Life's too short to be sad Wishing things you'll never have
I'm Bill Lawrence. Join me again soon for another big bag of onions.